As we continue our classic conversations all throughout the winter and into the spring, Frank Austin and I will be bringing you Marvin Gaye next week as we finish off February. But this week, Alan Hewitt will be our special guest. He is the keyboardist for the Moody Blues when they're on tour. We'll let you know how he joined the band, how he knew the guys, and, uh, you know, he's got a real interesting set of skills, plus some of his solo work that we'll talk about as well. That's this week with Alan Hewitt, our guest, the Moody Blues Classic Conversations. Enjoy. Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with rock and roll expert, Frank Ost. Frank, welcome. It's great to be here with you. We have a really good interview coming up a little later on today. Moody Blues will be our featured artist, and we have the keyboardist, Alan Hewitt, uh, who is a keyboardist for the Moody Blues when they go on tour. He's got a lot to talk about. He's also done some work uh, over the years with Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, Maurice White, uh, producing some of their stuff. And has his own band out, Alan Hewitt and One Nation. So we'll talk That's a little right. bit about that. We'll be interviewing him a little later on. Hall of Fame inductees began in 1986. We have one more to go after this. So we're in 1987, and there were a bunch of them that year. The Coasters, introduced by Lester Sill, Phil Spector's partner at Philly's Records. He also headed up Colpix Records and Call Gems Records, where the Monkees were. Eddie Cochran, Mick Jones of Foreigner, introduced him. Uh, the American rocker, Teenage Frustration and Lament of the 50s, you know, Summertime Blues. That's right. He died in an accident at age 21 while touring in Great Britain, 1960. Bo Diddley, you know who inducted him? Bo Jackson. No, just kidding. ZZ Top, of all people, introduced Bo Diddley. Okay, yeah, well, they used the Bo Diddley beat in a number of their songs, so yeah, it makes sure. sense. Keith Richards inducted Aretha Franklin. That's an interesting choice, don't That's you think? That's definitely an interesting choice. You would have thought somebody Stevie more Wonder. of a, a singer would have done it rather than exactly. uh, Keith. Ashford and Simpson, you've heard of them. They introduced the wonderful, legendary, late Marvin Gaye. Mm, what a fantastic uh, career oh, he had. One of our featured artists. Chuck Berry inducted Bill Haley. You can't have rock and roll without Bill Haley, no, right? No, you know, he's kind of... Uh, glossed over by a lot of people, but uh, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets were kind of one of the first. B.B. King, introduced by Sting. That's a no-brainer. Clyde McFadder, uh, inducted twice as a solo artist, then later on as a member of the Drifters. Really? Okay. And Ricky Nelson, inducted by John Fogarty, son of Harriet and Ozzy, died in that plane crash in 1985 in December, along with his fiancée and five others. Apparently a fire had started in the cabin of the plane, but they said it was not attributed to any drug use. Wow, I, I remember that. It was tragic. Roy Orbison, inducted by Bruce Springsteen. His last live performance took place at the Front Row Theater in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. You know, I did not know that, but he was tired and decided to rest up a little before his flight to London. He was going to record a couple of uh, videos for the Traveling Wilburys. I never made it. Died of a heart attack in December of 88. At age 52, wow. I thought he was a lot older than that. Yeah, definitely. Smokey Robinson, inducted by Daryl Hall and John Oates. That makes sense to me because um, they definitely. love that music and the Temptations music. And anything by Smokey and, Robinson. Yeah, Smokey is, is goes down uh, nice and oh, easy, doesn't he? I would have inducted him if I could. Yeah. Sam Phillips inducted uh, Carl Perkins, featured in that stage production. Have you seen Mil Million Dollar Quartet? No, I haven't. On stage? It's a great show. It recalls the recording session held. In December of 1956, with the early rock and rollers like Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Elvis Presley. It's a That's great, right. great show. Mm -hmm. Muddy Waters, the father of modern 
Chicago Blues born McKinley Morgan Field in 1913. Muddy Waters. Wow. Some legendary names here. Big Joe Turner, inducted by Paul Butterfield. Peter Wolf and Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson. That's another, you know, higher and higher, lonely teardrops. That's right. Both he and Clyde McFadder got their big breaks as singers, and the Billy Ward and the Dominoes group was a regular, too, on Ed Sullivan, American Bandstand, Shindig, and Hullabaloo. Wow. Jackie and what Wilson. A, what a list. That is, that, that's an incredible list. Those are all-timers right there, yeah, huh? Yeah, absolutely. 1987. Next week, our last time we do that will be 1986, and we'll run down some other great artists. We It'll be hard to match that or the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Sure. One Hit Wonder Time, Frankie. Not one of my favorites. It's something you couldn't get away from in 1976. It went to number eight. Nazareth and Love Hurts. Classic conversations all throughout the winter and into the spring. Brand new episodes set to begin in early May. For Frank Ost, I'm Tim Friedman. We'll see you next week. like nails on a chalkboard just not a great song but the only thing that bails out uh, Nazareth is on the same album in fact same side of the same album they put out a little tune called Hair of the Dog yeah, that was B-side if which, you had the single which uh, is a fantastic tune uh, you probably know it as Now You're Messing With a Son of a Bitch yeah. yeah now the Everly Brothers had an early version of Love Hurts and speaking of nails on a chalkboard uh, the only thing worse would have been if Janis Joplin had done a version of Love Hurts. The band has released two dozen albums with a variety of different band members Nazareth. It was written by a married couple named Felice and Budlo Bryant, who also wrote All I Have to Do is Dream, Bye Bye Love, Wake Up Little Susie, and the big hit at the bars, Rocky Top. And our second one-hit wonder I like a little better. It comes from the spring of 1979. You'll recognize the singers in a moment.
McGuinn, Clark, and Hillman, one of the most awkward names in history. They should just call themselves the Birds or Birds 2 because they sure. were all in it. And they had a nice little pop tune in 1979 called Don't You Write Her Off. Yeah, it was one of those things that kind of slid in there in the times of disco, as we remember. And uh, at that point, any pop song that had a good beat and uh, was fun to listen to was a good song as far as I was concerned. <laughs> Me too. Number 33 in spring of 79, they recorded it at the famed Criteria Studios in Miami. Bee Gees were there, Clapton, Joe Cocker, Chicago, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, hundreds of others, even Justin Bieber has recorded at that wonderful studio in Miami. Oh, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Now, Alan Clark had some trouble with um, with drugs. He left the group that year due to drug use and his poor health. He died at age 46 only. Oh, it's terrible. So, Roger McGuinn is still doing stuff, t- still active to this day. Chris Hillman, too. Um, Clark did join McGuinn, Hillman, and David Crosby on stage in New York when they were inducted as the Birds into the Rock Hall in 1991, but he would die, Clark would, just a few months later from heart failure brought on by years of drug abuse and heavy smoking. His right. body just wore out at 19 and age 46. They were only together for four years, but I really like that song. Oh, yeah. Terrific song. A uh, lot of fun and just perfect for its era. Remember the show TCB? It was a, a televised event on NBC. It actually preempted Laugh-In in late 68. It was a TV special featuring Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations. I don't remember that. There weren't a lot of those shows in that day. No, you did not uh, see your favorite uh, rock or pop person on TV unless it was on, you know, that was before Bob Hope or something. Yeah, or Flip Wilson. Or, that yeah. was before Elvis had his famous uh, show on TV, too, wasn't it? His right. comeback? I think that was 69. So TCB was the album that displaced the White Album in 1969. Then right after that, the White Album again, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Hair spent 13 weeks at the top of the chart, 1969. Oh, absolutely. Blood, Sweat, and Tears again. Johnny Cash at San Quentin. Not Folsom, but he did one at San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> Blind Faith. Green River by CCR, Abbey Road, and Led Zeppelin II rounded out the year. Wow. Not bad. Boy, talk about great albums, one after another. I mean, oh, well, yeah, fantastic.
Top 10 singles, 1969, going in order from 10 to 1, Crimson and Clover. That sounds like a nice 60s hit to me, doesn't it, Tommy Dean? Tommy, Tommy James. 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 Yeah. I don't hardly know her, but I think I could love her, Crimson and Clover. Buttercup, The Foundations, written by Tony McCauley. We've talked about that before. He sure. wrote or co-wrote Baby Now That I Found You, also by The Tempta- also by the Foundations. Don't Give Up On Us, the number one hit by David Soul. And Last Night I Didn't Get to Sleep At All by The Fifth Dimension. Number eight, I'll Never Fall In Love Again, not by Dionne Warwick, but uh, by Tom Jones. I don't remember that song. I don't either. Um... Yeah, I can remember Dionne Warwick's version, but I don't remember Tom Jones being that much of a hit, but I guess it was. Sly and the Family Stone had a couple in the top ten that year, Hot Fun in the Summertime, and then they had uh, Everyday People at number five. They were yeah, they were, they were as, as, <laughs> as big as anyone. As hot as anyone at that point, yeah. Sandwiched in between Tommy Rowe and Dizzy. Maybe my wife's favorite song to skate to at Winterhurst. Oh, great. I do like Dizzy. Uh, I'm sure Tommy Rowe would have liked to have played Woodstock like Sly Stone did, but uh, <laughs> I don't think he was asked. No. The Stones, Hot uh, Honky Tonk Women, 1969, number four. Temptations, Can't Get Next to You. If you've ever seen the Osmonds in concert, I, I mentioned before, that was the very first concert I saw mm-hmm. in spring of 71 with my sister Mickey and I. Uh, they had a nice cover version of that song. Really? Because they had enough high and low voices and medium range voices to cover it. So The Temptations, number three, can't get next to you. Number two, The Fifth Dimension, Aquarius, Let the Sun Shine In, again written by Galt McDermott. Yeah, and you couldn't go anywhere that year without hearing that song. That was a great little medley there. Dawning of the age of Aquarius. 
or the Archie's number one, sugar, comma, sugar. When I think of bubblegum music, uh, that is the number one bubblegum music song of all time. <laughs> Andy Kim, remember Rock Me Gently? Yeah. He wrote that song along with Jeff Berry, who wrote a bunch of hits from the late 50s and the 60s and produced uh, some of the hits by the Monkees, including I'm a Believer, Jeff Berry did. Ron okay. Dante sang it, and he wound up to uh, singing backup and producing or co-producing a lot of Barry Manilow stuff all throughout the 70s. So Ron Dante was uh, big in the music scene and put together that song with the fictional group. Sort of fictional. They had the nice yeah, cartoon. That's right. The Archies, number one in 1969, <laughs> was Sugar, Sugar. That rounded out quite a year. You, you talk about Percy Faith and Summer Place to begin the year, the, the, the decade. The decade, yeah. And you ended with Sugar, Sugar, but in between. Wow. What so a much. decade of music that was. Mm-hmm. All right, Frankie, our featured artist this week is the Moody Blues. I've been waiting for this one for quite some time. I know you have been as well. We have a very special guest joining us, Alan Hewitt, who plays keyboards with the Moody Blues when they're on tour. Alan, a native of Petoskey, Michigan, the northern part of the state, graduate of Berklee College of Music in Boston in 1978, got a band together, Alan Hewitt and One Nation. They've had two CDs put out. One was in 2015, Evolution. And we'll talk about the new one coming out called 2021, which is due out very soon. Alan Hewitt, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim. How you doing, Frank? So the Moody Blues, how did you become a keyboardist for, for them? Was the audition process uh, daunting for you? Well, it's kind of, it was an unusual process because um, the guys are, they live all over the world. So um, I got a call from their agents. They, they uh, inquired whether I would be, you know, willing to go out on the road, but didn't tell me who it was. And so I said, well, it just depends on who the band is. So uh, some weeks went by and got the call back and, and uh, they wanted, you know, I did a little interview with their agent, who's a buddy of mine now. And that went well. And so the process began. And there was several other guys. I think the keyboard player from Pink Floyd, the second keyboard player, and uh, one of the guys from Billy Joel's band. So they had me do, uh, basically do some of their songs and redo them in the studio because part of the deal is they wanted somebody that was, you know, good at, uh, you know, doing the sequencing and programming and stuff like that. And all, and also be able to, um, score for, um, for violins and, and symphony type stuff. So, so I can do both of those things. So that worked out good. And, uh, after a couple of weeks of doing, going back and forth with, uh, each guy's music, um, they go, well, I guess you're our guy. And, uh, and that's when it started. It was fun. Now, the guys have been together for so long, yeah. the three of them, you know, Justin. And what's it like fitting in with a group that is so tight together that they've been together for over 50 years? It was, it was quite easy because I knew Justin 20 years prior to me playing with them. Um, we're, we have been with the same management. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Concerts West, and I'd been, I'm still with them. And and they Moody Blues, Earth Wind and Fire, and Warrant were all with them. So we kind of all knew each other. I lived in Marina Del Rey at the time, and I had a little sailboat. And Justin would come out. We'd go out and sailboat and hang out. So it it wasn't really we kind of stayed in touch, and it was pretty natural. Um, that's why when they said it was the Moody Blues that you are going to play with, that was uh, I said, well, great. This is perfect. And John's such an easy guy to get along with, and Graham's fun. 
and the rest of the band too. Um, there's two drummers in the band. Gordy Marshall was in it at the time, and they were just so you know welcoming. Um, the only thing I, I didn't really have a, uh, a rehearsal with them. I had a kind of a day to go over the songs, and then I had a half a sound check <laughs> <laughs> before, before we. Our first show was in Clearwater. You know what? Um, well, I can't think of the name. Clearwater, Florida, the the theater down there, and um, and the Gordy Marshall, the drummer who we later became great friends, said, don't F up. (laughs) 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 So it was was funny. It it went smooth, though. Nights in white satin Never reaching the end Letters I've written Never meaning to send Beauty I'd always missed With these eyes before Just what the truth is I can't say Plans on touring with the Moody Blues anytime soon? I know Justin's on the road right now. Well, Justin's going out in the fall. Yeah, and of course they got inducted to the Hall of Fame, uh, uh, you know, in Cleveland in 2018. We all played there at the uh, down. Yeah, at the public hall. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. As far and John, we're um, I mean John Lodge's music director as well. So um, we're going out March of 22. We have a Flower Power cruise as well as about five weeks of dates. So I don't know what's going to happen after that. It, you know, anything with the Moody Blues, you just kind of strap in and whatever the guys decide <laughs> they want to do. <laughs> so I don't think the Moody Blues will be putting out any new music, but um, I think Justin's going to. And I know, um, John, we have uh, the Royal Affair tour that we did in 2019 uh, is coming out in October. And that was with, we did a tour with Yes, Asia, and Carl Palmer.
One of our, you know, uh, favorite bands uh, on our podcast is Earth, Wind, and Fire. You look up the Greatest Hits package and you see Alan Hewitt as keyboards, programmer, producer, engineer, mixing. Uh, incredible. What was it like to work with the legendary Maurice White? Uh, it was one of the best times of my life, really. It was uh, Maurice was such a great guy and a mentor. Um, unassuming, just the easiest guy to work with. And we wrote... Um, a lot for a lot of different projects, not just Earth, Wind, and Fire, but for Jonathan Butler and for um, for different artists that would, you know, admired him and wanted a song from him. Sure. Um, so we'd co-write and produce things. So, um, and the band's, the band's just great guys. Uh, it, of course, there's different guys that go through, but there's the main station like Ralph and Verdine, sure. Um that are always there and all the musicians that ever play with them are just excellent. And it's just, it was, it was just a great thing because they, he had a studio called magnet vision in Santa Monica and my studio was actually inside their studio. So, um, I worked on separate projects from them and then I was all, then also work on a, a lot of projects with them. So it was, um, just a really cool time to, to be, you know, working with them. And, and he just, uh, unfortunately he, got the um parkinson's yeah parkinson's and and just it's so things kind of had to come to a halt but a great guy miss him about how old were you when you did that because i'm thinking you you were coming out of school about 78 that must have been about the same time correct no it was actually more in the more in the 2000 so yeah i had i had had a uh, my own um solo record deal when I first left Berkeley, I went out to L.A. and I got a, um, a deal with A&M, kind of a development deal that didn't go anywhere, and mm-hmm. started writing with a lot of different people out there, Fee Waybill, um, Donny Osmond, Eddie Money, um, different stuff like that, you know, and getting tracks on their records and, and just, you know, kind of moved my way up the ladder slowly. Talking with Alan Hewitt of uh, the keyboardist for the Moody Blues is also in Alan Hewitt and One Nation. Look him up and find more on his website at alanhewitt.com. From the album of the same name out in 2012, it's Alan Hewitt and High Fidelity.
listening to your music, uh, songs like One Step Closer, We're One Nation. I noticed that when um, in the YouTube clips, uh, they're shown with the group separated in those now famous COVID boxes. Is that the way you had to record it? Yeah, um, basically, uh, we all live, three of us live in Florida, but um, the guitar player lives in Detroit. And we actually grew up together in northern Michigan. So okay. uh, but it, it's not, it's really not that big of a deal because as long as I've been around, that that's the way, you know, we record everybody slept separately anyway. Hardly, it's rare that we do everybody at the same time. So we're actually getting ready to go on a tour. We're going to be playing, um, we're starting in Michigan, and we're going to be, I think we're going through your area. I don't know if we have a Cleveland date or not, but then we go to Pennsylvania, and then New Jersey we're playing. It culminates in a, a performance at the Prague Stock Festival with uh, Brand X from England. So um, that, that's going to be a, a fun gig. It's basically starting in September 24th, and then we're going to go for about two or three weeks, and into October, uh, and that coincides with the release of our new album, 2021, um, which is coming out on Sony. It'd be good to get back on the road again and feel that live energy on stage, won't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, and and we, there's lots of stuff coming up this year, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this year because it's, it's going to be a nice um, breakdown of playing with the Alan Hilton One Nation and then also with, with John and then possibly Moody Booth later on. Talking with Alan Hewitt, I gotta I gotta hear about um, Warrant and Cherry Pie. Tell me about that experience. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. We were all with the same management, and um, I got a call from from my manager saying, uh, "Janie's coming down to your house because um, Columbia doesn't feel that they have a uh, you know a single a lead off single for for the album." They said, "You know, well, you guys need to write a hit." Well, okay, no problem. So um, Janie Lane, that their lead singer came down uh he had a couple ideas and we we put them all together and came up with some the bridge and and the part of the chorus and a lot of the music stuff and he had some of the lyrics sketched out although i didn't know what they all were at the time. <laughs> so, um being being from batasky cherry pie meant another thing so uh <laughs> it's cherry capital up there so uh so anyway uh, we got we got the song done and that didn't take us very long and we went up to the studio right away put it down it was sent to the record company the next day they said oh this is great we want this to be the the whole concept for the album and that's what happened and that that's really how simple that was are you on the video I'm not on the video no <laughs> no I didn't go out I didn't tour with those guys they're they're a little bit younger and and uh, I uh, I said you you guys are too crazy for me. Uh, you know, uh, I think I'll just stay behind the scenes on this one. <laughs> but they're, they're all good guys. His band, Alan Hewitt and One Nation, has two CDs out. Well, one is already out from 2015 called Evolution. The next one coming out in September is called 2021. He's released several solo albums. He's worked with everybody from Maurice White of Earth, Wind & Fire to Jonathan Butler to John Waite, one of my favorites. And, of course, the Moody Blues, keyboardist for the band. Hopefully we'll see uh, you or John or the Moody Blues on tour very soon. Alan, thanks for being our guest this afternoon. Thanks for having me here today. Thanks. Thank you very much for the music, too. Just in 
conversation You can hear the feeling change Like a river running down Down to the sea And if you need an explanation I defy you to explain But something's not the same And it's bothering quite a musician i just you know i listen to some of his stuff online and then just listening to him talk yeah uh he's he's got it under control I mean, be... it doesn't even sound like he had to like do anything for that moody blues gig they were more than happy to have him on yeah he's definitely talented and qualified for that hopefully we'll see the moody blues in concert around here yeah before be too much time passes i know justin hayward though is going to be at the kent stage it's a venue of maybe 650 almost 700 right, it's a nice little right. place down by kent state university you know on september 19th great talking with alan hewitt moody blues our featured artist today and you know frankie their second album was such a departure from their first wasn't it the funny thing was, they started as a, that, that rhythm and blues band and quickly changed. Quickly changed. Mike Pinder, Denny Lane, Graham Edge, Clint Warwick, and Ray Thomas were a part of the early uh, iteration of Moody Blues. They made some tweaks to that lineup, and they still had Pinder and Thomas and Edge, and they added Justin Hayward and John Lodge. But they've been together for a long time, oh, especially yeah. Lodge and Hayward. Absolutely. And Edge. A fusion of rock and classical music, wonderful songs, great album covers, and even better album titles. Get this list of acts that um, kind of cut their teeth at that hotbed of music in Birmingham, England. It was the home to the 60s scene of The Move, soon to be ELO. Uh, Spencer Davis Group, Traffic, also the home to the heavy metal scene. Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, and a little-known band called Led Zeppelin. Wow. Kind of got their start in the Birmingham, England city. Other popular acts from Birmingham, you might know, uh, you know, Spencer Davis uh, and Stevie, Stevie Winwood, of course. But oh, jeez. Duran Duran, Fine Young Cannibals, Joan Armitrading, and Dexy's Midnight Runners. I'll be All darned. cut their teeth in the Birmingham music scene. They were signed to Decca Records, Moody Blues were. Later, they formed their own label, Threshold, distributed by Decca in the UK and London Records here. So if you have a, a Moody Blues record like I do sitting right behind me, my very first single was Story in Your Eyes. It's on the Threshold label, but uh, London Records, you'll see their logo in there as well. Correct. Their albums start out in 1965, that uh, song Go Now, the mm-hmm. Denny Lane tune, a little bit distorted, a little over-modulated, it seemed to me. Magnificent Moody is the name of the album. The group was start having troubles with record sales already, so uh, uh, Tony Clark was enlisted as their producer for the next album. He turned their sound around, didn't they? Oh, my God. Uh Somebody got the idea to use an orchestra, and that was that. (laughs) That's a good idea. Days of Future Past, 1967. Tuesday afternoon, Nights in White Satin, produced by Tony Clark. 
They would go, to, go on to produce all their albums until Seventh Sojourn in 1972. That's right. And then again in uh, after their break, and uh, they got together again in 1978 for Octave. He's even, he was known then as the Sixth Moody Blue. Okay. Or Blues. Sixth Moody, Sixth Moody Blues member. Music critics called it an early example of progressive rock music. Mind you, in 1967, you know, psychedelic was starting to hit the airwaves, and progressive rock wasn't being played on radio because there weren't really any progressive rock stations until no, they started finding FM. No, there weren't. And the only time I heard them was, you know, the singles like Night in Some White Satin, as you said, or uh, Tuesday Afternoon, one of those, yeah. So they got the orchestral orchestration help from the London Festival Orchestra. Then 1968, In Search of the Lost Chord. Terrific concept album, Frankie. Yep. Ride My Seesaw, Legend of the Mind, The Actor. They all shared songwriting and lead vocal duties on that album. Maybe that's one way they could stay fresh and stay together. Everybody's input is expected right. and, and admired. The themes of that album, In Search of the Lost Chord in 68, very consistent with the year, spirituality, space exploration, and imagination in general. Mm -hmm.
So it went to number 5 in the UK and starting to pick up some steam here, number 23 in the US. They always did better in the UK, as you would expect. 33 instruments were used on this album, and they played them all. That's right. Including the Mellotron, developed in the early 60s in England. That one was kind of Mike Pinder's thing, wasn't it? Right, one of the early uh, Moog synthesizers. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it was used on the uh, Beatles song, Strawberry Fields Forever. It had that wow and flutter sound. It's hard to to imagine that, and it's, but it, it's easier to generate an audio tape because you push something against a playback head. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it works. It, you really can't duplicate that on digital. But to the Mellotron was big with their, their music, and Mike Pinder does love playing that. So 1969 came along in the spring on the threshold of a dream. You get the idea with the great-sounding album titles. In the beginning, lovely to see you, never comes a day. Good tunes. Yeah, and it was funny. Uh, my seventh-grade uh, choir teacher spent half a year teaching us the record. He would bring it, he brought it in, and every day he would play it. Uh, he had the uh, lyrics, he had the chord changes and everything, and he taught us how the entire record was put together. Mind you, we didn't lo- learn anything about singing, but it was fun. <laughs> That's amazing. A choir teacher would do a that, and not a band teacher. teacher. Yeah. Or an orchestra teacher. Exactly. It's only 37 minutes long, the album On the Threshold of a Dream. That's five minutes shorter than their previous album. So 37 minutes was not a long album, especially for uh, back then when they had more of the uh, concept albums. Absolutely. So it was number one in the UK, as you can expect, number 20 here. The only single release, Never Comes the Day, could do no better than number 91 in the Hot 100 charts. So single-wise, not so great, but uh, the album On the Threshold of a Dream did well. Oh, Very yeah. well. And then in 1969, a little later on, uh, November, to be exact, to our children's children's children. The first tune on Great that song stuff. is Gypsy of a Strange and Distant Time. and opens upside two, actually. Watching and Waiting is on there. Number two there, number 14 here. The album did very well uh, in both here and across the pond. You know, the previous album, On the Threshold of a Dream, the European version, the vinyl recording didn't have any 
any um, grooves in the middle of the song, so you would be forced to play it from the beginning all the way to the end when... Oh, you the, couldn't tell the, where... Things, when the tone yeah. picked up. So yeah. you, you couldn't tell when it ended because there wasn't an end until the end of the album. Well, any of us who had uh, albums back then were professionals at lifting that uh, uh, stylus over to exactly where we wanted it. Oh, yeah, yeah and if you were a DJ like me, you had to be very oh, precise yeah. with your, your slip cueing, as they called it. Absolutely. Especially with a cold start and a cold end. Subsequent albums of To Our Children's Children, Children, they've released many subsequent albums, but uh, it included sure. live versions of Nights in White Satin and Legend of the Mind, which sounds pretty good to me. Absolutely. A Question of Balance came out in 1970. A Question was on there. Number 21 in the Hot 100 chart was that. And a number one album again for them, the Moody Blues in the UK, it hit number three in the States. A Question of Balance. Yeah, they'd really hit their stride. Uh, they didn't really need singles to sell records no. at that point they they were uh, they were the darlings of uh, just about every college kid at that time yeah <laughs> now you were still 13 14 years old when did you get with the boonie blues yeah, it was until my uh sister went to college that uh, she started bringing home some of this stuff and that's kind of when i got uh, like 70 71 yeah your sister was what three four years older four than you? years older than yeah. i was so it uh it, again it wasn't until about 70 71 where i started to really hear this stuff because uh, they like you said they did not play much of this on am radio a lot of fun stuff, uh, and uh, a lot of moody blues, and um, like records like Spirit, uh, The Twelve Dreams of Dr. Sidonicus. I never knew would have known that even existed yeah. had it not been for her. Very soon we're going to have a new segment, Frankie, that I'm looking forward to. Um, albums or songs that didn't do so well, but you really liked. Maybe somebody oh, turned you on to it, and you absolutely. like to turn other people on to that. So that'll be a really fun segment that we both will take part in. Um, so Question of Balance 1970 did very well on both sides of the pond. Less of a lush, orchestrated sound because they needed to be able to play these songs in concert. Right, And they exactly. weren't always backed, if ever, by an orchestra itself, even though they played a lot of instruments. It's sure. really hard to run from the, the harp to the accordion to the <laughs> piano. And play. It's not a one-man band by any means. 1971, Every Good Boy Deserves favor favor spelled f-a-v-o-u-r the english spelling story in your eyes released in july of 71 the album mixed in both stereo and quadraphonic sound absolutely and of course every good boy deserves favor is the uh, the key for the uh, yeah e-d yeah, yeah yeah the uh musical staff that's right. what i'm looking for been a while since we played any instruments. I never did. Definitely. You played been the trumpet. A while. <laughs> <laughs> number one in the UK and number two in the United States was Every Good Boy Deserves Favor for the Moody Blues. Seventh Sojourn came along then, put now an album every year, 1972. Isn't Life Strange? That's my favorite one of theirs. I'm Just a Singer and For My Lady, all great songs. Seventh Sojourn, 1972. They really hit their stride yeah, then. Did, Boy, they? Uh, just a fantastic record. They re released uh, Nights in White Satin that year as well. That's right. The cover and liner art again done by a fellow named Phil Travers, who did a lot of cover design for them and also chipped in as assistant engineer on a couple of the albums. They did have some difficulty recording this one, and after their tour of Asia, decided to take a little break, and actually did for another six years until Octave came out in 1978. By then, Mike Pinder had left and took the Mellotron with him. Yeah, I remember winning um, Octave on uh, some kind of radio contest uh, from... Uh, one of the stations that I was listening to at the time. Could have been WGCL. G98. Uh, probably was. The music giant. And they sent me that. And again, it was the first record that we'd heard from them in six years. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't have to go out and buy it. 
First one in a long time that didn't hit the top of the charts in the UK. It did hit number right. five there, but number one here in 1978. And that's hard to do with all the other music that was going on at the oh, time, absolutely. especially Saturday Night Fever and Grease and everything else like that. In the meantime, a two-album set. This is the Moody Blues, which was released in 1974, a really good compilation album, which, of course, I have. Oh, I, I definitely I, had that. that I was, had that uh, as part of the Columbia Music Club that yeah, I belong to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, double record set. Uh, you could just put the needle on the start and just go to the end. It's a yes. lot like Bob Dylan or any of the other greatest hits packages. Mm-hmm. 1977 brought us Caught Live plus five, recorded at the Royal Albert Hall in 1969, and featured five previously unreleased studio recordings from late. 60s. Octave, of course, 78. Long Distance Voyager came out in 1981. And that was really kind of a comeback for them. Uh, Much more of a comeback in my mind than Octave. I really like that album. A great comeback album, if you will. Gemini Dream. Meanwhile, talking out of turn, the voice. You still hear those tunes all the time. Absolutely. Not, not as crazy about Gemini Dream. It's a good tune. Nice up-tempo number. But I really like Meanwhile and the voice. You can tell it's the Moody Blues. They're not as orchestrated anymore. But boy, was that a good album. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Produced by Pip Williams, who is also a terrific arranger of songs. He also arranged the number one hit, by Carl Douglas in 1964, 74, one of your favorites, Kung Fu Fighting. Oh, a classic. Pip Williams <laughs> arranged that one, and he also arranged the string section for the Moody Blues album Long Distance Voyager in 1981. Wow. Did very well here, another number one for them in the States, number seven in the UK, so they're still ver- doing very well here and there. And, and it shows you just how big a band they were that these records were coming out 10 years after the fact and they were hitting number one did you ever uh, see them in concert no i did not uh, sorry to say i, I never did um i planned to on a couple of occasions but n- just somehow it fell through you still may get your chance they're still together they still like being together and recording you know when they were inducted in the rock hall not too long ago they were all there and 
and, and play some great music. And a shout out to one of our friends, Andy Didich. It's his favorite band, and he's seen him many times. So I think if I wanted to go, I could find somebody to go with. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd take you. A night at Red Rocks was, uh, you know, Red Rocks, the outdoor venue just west of Denver. That's a really good CD if you want to get your hands on it or download. Recorded with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra in September of 1992. The first time that they performed on stage with a full orchestra. You would think it would have been a lot sooner than that. But oh, absolutely. That Red Rocks album is good. And Kenny Loggins has a good one, too. Red Rocks is not only a, like Blossom, it's it's more of scenic. It's beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've heard that uh, the scenery is just yeah. drop-dead gorgeous. The Other Side of Life came out in 1986 for the Moody Blues, Your Wildest Dreams, and the, the, the title cut produced by Tony Visconti, you know, his work with T-Rex and Badfinger and David Bowie. And that was a a huge MTV uh, song and album at the time. Sure was. Platinum album for them. Again, produced by Visconti. I know you're out there somewhere. Kind of the follow-up to Your Wildest Dreams a couple of years earlier. By then, the lineup was pared down to just Justin Hayward, John Lodge, Graham Edge, and Patrick Moraz. They had some great tunes. Absolutely. And great, great albums. Uh, more box CD sets, compilation albums, like Bob Dylan. If you wanted to listen to anything that was recorded by the Moody Blues, you, it's They've not hard to find. They've got a set for you, yeah. absolutely. Remember in the early to mid to late 90s, box sets were all the rage. Oh, absolutely. Springsteen, the Beach Boys, the Beatles. They all put out a box set, and that means everything was on there. Yeah, and it meant a lot of money for the uh, uh, record companies, too. Did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they continued to uh, record new music and tour through the 90s and the 2000s, and even though we didn't see them, we knew they were around. Absolutely. Uh, they even did a Christmas album in 2003. I must have missed that one. I must have missed that one, too. <laughs> but they've sold more than 70 million albums worldwide, 18 platinum and gold albums. The Moody Blues were inductees in the Rock Hall, finally. Yeah. In 2018, ceremonies were held in Cleveland that year. People would have a hard time getting with that band in the late 60s because a lot of the, the albums you had to listen to from start to finish on, on the record. Uh, There's a lot of orchestration on there, and they weren't getting a lot of respect from the music critics either. They were kind of 
glossing over the Moody Blues and, and right. pushing them aside. As they did with pretty much the whole progressive rock scene there, uh, with bands like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Uh, yes, uh, a lot of them took it on the chin in the early 70s. It's hard to, hard to remember that now, but boy, uh, as good as those bands were, they, they took a, a lot of... Uh, uh, shelling by the critics. But like those that you mentioned, Moody Blues, they stuck to their guns, didn't they? They stayed with their that progressive music, that that idea of of maybe not just being a hit-making group. Now, hits will come, but they want to put out that music in that certain genre. It was great. Yeah, and it's amazing how people found them. I mean, you really had to search them out, like you said, because you weren't going to hear their stuff uh, on the, on Top 40 radio. You just weren't going to hear it. You can still get your hands on a lot of the good stuff, whether it's a CD, an old album, or a download. So that's Alan Hewitt, the keyboardist with the Moody Blues, our special guest this week. And next week's featured artist will be Motown legend Marvin Gaye as we continue February. We'll continue our classic conversations all throughout the winter and into the spring. Brand new episodes set to begin in early May. For Frank Ost, I'm Tim Friedman. We'll see you next week.